You are now listening to the Socks and Sandals podcast. Every time an independent, a truly independent source goes into the Portland Police Bureau, we find chaos. Just one of the people like just told to my managers who like had fired me, they were like, yeah, did you see Tevin's video was on Complex? And he was like, man, dog, they sick, man. Yada, yada. And I was just like, I was laughing because it was just like, you know, bro, like, you know, God, God always got a plan. That moment, I thought, you know what? I don't care. I'm gonna sit here in the middle of this aisle in Target and talk to her and break down what is going on and why she believes that these white Barbie dolls are more valuable or should come home with us over these brown and black Barbie dolls. The Egyptian creation story is a very sexual one, mm-hmm. and it talks of the god creating himself through a sexual act with himself. So it's a masturbatory big bang, if you like. I never even hire coaches when I establish a program. I always hire mentors. You know what I'm saying? Because a mentor gets the big picture. Coach might just get basketball. I want somebody that under X's and I want somebody that's about whole life. I'm not the only podcaster out there. You're not the only marketer out there. Like, there's a lot of people doing the same things. But the things that's going to separate you and I from the rest of the people is that we become our best selves and we just don't quit. What is the gospel? What is the pure, unadulterated yes, gospel? Yes, yes, and that is what I live by, because the moment this changes is the moment I'm leaving Christianity. Okay. The pure, unadulterated gospel, and I can say it in one sentence, but I'll elaborate. For sure. Is love God and do whatever the fuck you want. What up, what up? I want to welcome you all back to the Socks and Sandals podcast, where society, culture, history, and religion collide, and we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. It's your guy, Emmanuel. I'm back in the kitchen whipping it up, and today's episode is a little bit of a, not a little bit, it's a lot of show prep. Um, And first of all, how y'all doing, man? Y'all all right? You know, it's damn near July. 2020 has been the fastest, quickest, longest year of all time. Um, States are opening up. Cities are opening up. Counties are opening up. And just as fast as they opened up, they're getting shut back down. Phase. We've been phasing up and now we phasing back out. So y'all be safe out there. Wear your mask. Protect yourself. Stay six feet away from these folks. And even with you, uh, with you doing the marches and doing the demonstrations, man, stay safe, stay safe. All right. So, um, a lot has gone on since I last put out an episode. It's been a couple of weeks. I appreciate you all's patience, but, um, some of you I've been engaging with on a more regular basis. Uh, my first and foremost group, man, shout out to y'all, everybody that showed up to the private podcast, just the live Zoom meetings that I've been doing. And those have been very constructive, very helpful uh, to me. It's been therapeutic to others. Um, and it's funny because there's a lot of folks that were just in on the uh, conversations, just listening. And I got the biggest response from those that were just listening 
as opposed to those that were talking. I mean, it, it went both ways, but I guess I would say not the biggest, but I got a really unexpected response from those that spoke that that didn't speak a lot in those meetings and just what they took away and what they learned and um, how therapeutic it was to hear other people having these conversations and and just speaking truthfully and honestly about what's going on with the marches, with the with the quarantine coming out of quarantine, um, you know, just the plight of what's happening with in the midst of Ahmaud Arbery, Breonna Taylor, George, George Floyd, um, and just everything that has transpired in a short amount of time. So um, I appreciate y'all and we're going to keep it going. We're going to keep it going. So um, without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and get into this episode. And it's really, it's kind of an impromptu thing. I, I just had a, uh, a pre-production meeting with my guy, William Johnson. For those of you that have listened to the podcast for quite some time, we did, uh, William Johnson and I did a series on toxic masculinity. Those were episodes 51, 52, and 58. Um, so if you haven't heard those, go back and listen to those. He, you know, he teaches a 12 month course to those that have been, um, convicted of domestic violence. And, you know, when they get out some of their probation or parole requirements, um, you know, require them to go through that 12 week course, some of their restraining orders that they want to get absolved. Uh, it's contingent that they go through his 12 week course, um, you know, for those that have been convicted of domestic violence, domestic abuse. So, um, we talked all about that, uh, the ins and outs of that and just what, you know, the success rates and things of that nature and just the methods that he used to be able to reform and rehabilitate, uh, men like that. Uh, so very, very interesting series, very interesting conversations that we had. Um, but we were doing, um, we were joining forces, man. William was gracious enough to reach out to me. Um, he's, he's working with an organization called team Rubicon and they're doing a lot of work for veterans and whatnot. And his organization was already scheduled to have a meeting. Um, and yeah, just be able to talk to, uh, one of the most world renowned anti-racist counter-racist workers, um, Jane Elliott. She created the brown eye, blue eye exercise, not experiment. It's an exercise and it's gone all over the world. She's done this for over 50 years. Um, and so they were speaking to her. They had an engagement that they were doing. And then he was like, he, he contacted me on father's day. I'll never forget it. Like he's, he's calling me on the afternoon of father's day. And I'm like, man, why are you calling me? You know, I'm with my family, like what's going on. And then he's texting me. He's like, yo, you need to call me ASAP. Text me in all caps. And I'm like, ah, am I going to do this? So I just found a little bit of time to step out. We were at my, uh, my dad's house, my parents' house at the time. I just found a little quiet time to step out and talk to him. And he presented me the opportunity. He said, look, man, my organization is meeting with Jane. We're having a Zoom meeting with her this week on Friday. He said, you should reach out to her. Tell her that, you know, me from Team Rubicon. And look, I think that she will be receptive to being on your podcast. And I'm like, what? Like, say less, bro. And so, you know, uh, after I got home, put the email together. She responded. I, I I reached out to her on Monday. She responded within two hours. 
maybe less than two hours and a very thoughtful informative spirited response um and so we went back and forth exchanged emails and then just like that the next week tuesday june the 30th we had an amazing interview amazing conversation but it was a joint interview william and i he was like man i you know i gotta be a part of this you know so i'm gonna i'm gonna give you the alley-oop but you gotta make sure you include me and and i was like man say less that's not a problem and so um in advance of us doing a joint interview we had our pre-production meeting on saturday a few days before and uh this meeting was so rich i was like man he was like are you gonna share that because we was giving up a lot of knowledge a lot of wisdom and i think that would be good for people to just hear that that back and forth that we had um in advance of what they're going to hear when they hear us with jane i was like you know what i wasn't planning on doing that but it's zoom i record all my zoom meetings regardless so hey here we are so here we are make a long story less long as joe button would say this is where we're at and so i'm going to go ahead and uh share with you a good amount of the conversation that william and i had and then i don't know exactly when i'm going to release the episode with jane um i got some other things that i'm working on as well so be on the lookout for it but all of those that are a part of the uh the group message first and foremost y'all know what it is y'all gonna get a sneak peek so without further ado let's get into it Six. Mm-hmm. Might want to say privilege, because she does break down privilege. Oh yeah, I haven't formed that question yet, but. But yeah, just superior. Um, what you call it? White superiority. Right. Put in a privilege. Well, the reason why I did that, um, because. I'm I'm forming questions based upon the language that she's used in previous okay. in previous um previous speeches. So I just I watched like five or six of her right uh, interviews and presentations and whatnot. Oh yeah. Um, and she and she was saying that she was saying that to the to the white people like they have this notion that they're superior. And, you know, where, where did you guys get that from? You know, and you got it from 500 years ago and Spanish Inquisition and things of that nature. Um, so, but I, but I hear you, I think, I know, I think like naturally privilege would, would come up, but if it doesn't, you know, um, I'm definitely open to like um, organizing a question around that. Mhm. I think these are a number five. Mhm. Uh, I would somewhere get in there. Would you do it again, even after all that was done to you? Mhm. Um, 
I mean, I see where you're going with the church going and whatnot. Mm -hmm. But I would ask, would you do it again? Knowing what you know now. Yeah. So for the sake of context, what he's talking about, uh, question number five um, and I didn't get to this. Unfortunately, I didn't get to this question. It just I couldn't make it fit um, in the flow of conversation. But the question that I I was proposing was. I was watching the interview that, that she had. So question number five was on the Rock Newman show. You shared about how your family was treated in response to conducting the brown eye, blue eye experiment. Your parents' restaurant went out of business. Your children were brutalized by their peers and sabotaged by their teachers. And as far as you knew it, these were twice on Sunday, once during the week, church-going Christians. However, you and I know that based upon their actions, they weren't practicing true Christianity. So my question is, who is their God and what were they practicing? Now, I never got to that. I never got to that point. But that was the question. And that's what we and me and William are discussing right here. Let's get back to it. Um, yep. Add that in. Yeah. The restaurant went out of business. Your children were terrorized at school by their peers, by the teachers. Um, Christianers. Yeah, like, my question is, who is their God and what are they practicing? I get, I get that. And then kind of swing, hey, Jane, t- tell me, would you do it again? Mm-hmm. Something to that effect? Yep. Yep, we can definitely add that in there. Mm-hmm. Two-part question. Mm-hmm. Let her answer and then, you know. Or also, what about... Let's like you got me thinking like uh to develop that question um like <laughs> like if you if you Jane if you reincarnated <laughs> and you were born mm-hmm. you know in the year 2000 and you're 20 years old and you're in college and you're seeing what's going on yeah would you yeah, that's- <laughs> <laughs> Would you? That's what I had, I had, I said, Jane, if God were to give you a mulligan, uh-huh. all over again. Yeah. Um, yeah, because that's. I mean, I listened to a lot of her stuff, but mm-hmm. I never heard, unless you know, I never heard that question asked of her. So rock, so rock Newman, he asked that question. He did. He did ask that question okay. in this in this interview. But it's. I mean, everybody hasn't watched that, so it's. Right. I'm sure the listener will be like, "Man, you should ask her." You know, just like yourself. So mm-hmm. even though, so w- with my mind, I'm like, I'm trying to ask her questions that she hasn't been asked before. But also, that's oh, yeah. just my that, that's just my own like personal thing. But also for the listeners, um, I could leave a lot to be desired we could leave a lot to be desired if mm-hmm. we don't ask the questions that are just right there on the tip of everybody's brain. Like, we'll ask her if she would do it again, you know? So, right. um, yeah. So I, so 
I think we can, yeah, we can, we can come at it from multiple angles with that for sure. Would you do it again? Because one thing I noticed um, in her interviews, like over mm-hmm. the years, going back from or interviews or just appearances on TV, um, mm-hmm. going back from the '90s all the way to today, whether it's Oprah show all the way up to I watched the um, presentation she did with Angela Davis at University of Houston two years ago. Right. And she, she she has her talking points, you know. She she has her stories. Mm-hmm. She has her things that she says, and um, I kind of want to take take it a step further than what she's already given the world. You know, that's that's my you. mindset. You know, I got you. Yeah. So, um, and I know if if you watched her, you you know that she she has her talking points. You know, you know she's gonna. Mm-hmm. Tell everybody to you know reach across the aisle and say hi, cousin. You know she's gonna she's gonna tell the story of her dad the first time he seen right. seen the uh, documentary yeah. and he wished that somebody would have taught him that at nine years old. Um, she's gonna say we're all the same. We all came from a black woman in Africa. You know we're all mm-hmm. black. So it's like all right, cool. That's that's cool. That's cool. Let's, let's but let's like let's dig a little bit deeper as possible because um, I'm just thinking about, you know, what my audience uh, you know, mm-hmm. type of interviews that they expect and the type of, the type of content and the challenging questions. And so, um, but that's, that's what's on my mind though, but, but feel free. Like we don't have to stick to this because we, I mean, my oh, questions yeah. are so long. I don't think we're going to get through all of those questions. In oh, one hour. Yeah, you, probably, you probably would have to short. Yeah, I will have to shorten some of my statements. But I see you know? where you're going with it. I, I, I do like the questions. Um, yeah, we can we can cut out half of them. I think um oh man, I was prioritizing this with, with my wife, but I didn't I didn't um lock in on which ones I wanted to prioritize. I think I wanted to definitely because all of these are not essential questions. Um I definitely wanted to ask question. Uh, let's see. Number one, that's super personal. That really doesn't have to be asked on on air. Um, that was just based upon her her email message that she that she sent me. Um, that could be more like a statement as opposed to a question. Um, okay, so for the sake of context, let me just because. Question number one did not make it into the interview. So I was, let me just give you like what I wrote. And so here it is. So in our email exchange, I told you about my show that is dedicated to enlightening, inspiring and empowering black Americans to think, speak and act in a manner that counteracts racism, white supremacy. In your reply, you said, quotation, I find it interesting that you think you need to teach black Americans to think more of themselves when what we need to be doing is making white Americans think realistically about all the members of the human race, end quote. Um, And then I went on to say, I would like to say I liken my reasoning of teaching slash reprogramming 
the black mind is to be able to properly identify what racism has produced in us. I want us to think more of ourselves because I realized something similar to the conclusion that you experienced in 1968 with the brown eye blue eye scenario of your third graders. And in quotation, they are finding out how really great they are and they are they are responding to what they know now of what they're able to do in quote. So she was saying that after because she had been given a, a large, a good amount of her kids were considered dyslexic and, have, you know, and, and just having learning disabilities. Um, but what she quickly realized that in a matter of 24 hours, the moment that she gave um, like a group of brown eyed children that were labeled dyslexic, dyslexic and having learning disabilities, um, when she treated them well, when she complimented them, when she made them feel loved and appreciated and superior, that they performed way better they had done things that, that they had never done up until that point, up until them given that privileged position. Um, but it's not just a privilege. It's basically someone believing in you, telling you how great you are, pumping you up, you know. And so that's why um, that's why I, I do what I do. It's not just about, you know, white people thinking realistically about the human race it's it's also us and so i i and i ended the statement with you know we've been forced coerced miseducated conditioned and reconditioned to think less of ourselves uh know our place and stay in our place um inferiority learned helplessness and all kinds of maladaptive behaviors have been produced in us i don't have the ultimate answer to the race problem, but I try not, I try not only to counteract it, but also proactively live and coach in the direction of liberation and empowerment in relation to any system of dominance over me and my people. So that's what I wanted to say. And I wanted to spark a little conversation about that, but we didn't get to that. Uh, that was more of a personal thing. And maybe one day if we have another conversation, we can get into that. Um, but yeah, that was question number one that you will not hear in the interview. But let's get back to it. We could get right into it by starting at question number two, just getting into the current events. Um, you know, after like doing an intro, everybody introducing themselves and Tell them a little bit, a little bit about their background. We can hop in with number two. Um, what I would do, mm-hmm. two, I would add Rodney King because that's twenty years ago, just about to the date. Oh, for sure, for sure. Um, Cause that was huge. That was definitely a power power play of the police, the national guards, the, um, Korean uprise, you know, yeah, so that was huge. Um, then I think it cooled until Ferguson. Mm-hmm. Um, the pandemic, the murder of Aubrey. Man, I'm George. 
Um, so, what are you What are you trying to get out of her for two? Yeah, that's that's what I'm. That's what I'm looking at. I'm like, all right, maybe I can ask a more direct question. So, um, are you saying the incident, videotape, riots? Mm-hmm. So, I guess what I'm getting at is, what's the difference? Do you do you see any difference in the types of responses and the type of action, constructive action that is coming from what's happening right now in 2020 versus the action, the reaction that happened after Birmingham, Selma, as you said, um, the Rodney King, Ferguson, like we always, there's always this uprising after some type of injustice, typically with police brutality, wherever the case might be. And then people are, it's, it's on the top of everyone's mind for a, a short period of time, whether it's a, a week or maybe a month, mm-hmm. then things kind of go back. You know, do you think that things are going to go back based upon how you see everything developing? Or do you see this as like, we're on a real traject- trajectory of um, consistent Con- constructive change. Like I, that's that's. I guess that's where I'm going with it. Well, it's 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 twofold. There. One is. I feel that government. We go to the government in peace, and we come to peace. Mm-hmm. Um, then we come with, i.e., videos, <laughs> and then nothing is said. Then we come with riots. Riots is number C. Mm. That's not the first thing we go to. Right. You know, King and then, you know, even the protesters now, they didn't go. The Bible talks about agitators. So there's agitators in a crowd. Okay. Mm -hmm. However, the protest is an outward expression of what will it take to listen to us? If that makes sense. Right. So they went the, quote, normal way as far as trying to bring attention and awareness. You know, um, so it's almost like we, what did I put? We accept what happened, right? Um, Then through the protests, we're, we're releasing our unmet emotions, unmet conditions, you know, and then unfortunately we adopt to the system. Mm-hmm. We go back again. Right. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So if you, like I tell people now, look how quick laws are being passed. Mm-hmm. Okay. Say, i.e. that, Debunk the police. I can use that for an example. Mm-hmm. We presented you a bill. And in that bill, you said these five items we're not going to budge on, but we'll give you anti-lynching. So it's the first, it's, it's, it could be a pattern where we said, well, they gave us something, let's chill out. But the pushback now is uh, no that bill still isn't strong. So I don't know 
historically, is that what happened? That, um, say, like the end of slavery, uh, they enact some laws, yeah. and then they say, ah, maybe a little too harsh. Let's give them a bone. And sometimes I feel we take that bone and say, okay, we were heard, um, which basically um, we adopt to that or we adopt what they say and then we move on. I don't think personally that we have fought it tooth and nail to say no. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so if you look at, um, I talked last night, if you look at how it started, I mean, you can go back to the Bible, but I try and keep it current, you know, the Israelites and Egyptian slaves, that kind of stuff, you know, no different than, and I tell people, you got to stay awake, you got to read, you got to do your history because what happened, all right? We have the release of the slaves, the white plantation, the rich white says, who's gonna work my field? My labor's gone, okay? Instant, instant financial effect on the release of the slaves. That's why that fight for release of the slaves was so strong. Mm -hmm. I have nobody to work my field. We've been booming off of cotton all these years. If you release my workers who I don't have to pay, I'm in trouble, okay? So then what happens? We have the war, and then after the war, the slaves are free, all of that, then what do they do? We'll get cheap labor. How do we do that? We will institute Jim Crow. And if you look at the bullshit Jim Crow laws, we're like, if a black person crossed the street wrong, if he looks at you wrong, we now, you broke the law, now we will imprison you. And your imprisonment is hard labor, which is our cotton fields. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, the concept was there, it kind of didn't work because we went from agriculture to industrial. Okay, cotton wasn't the big thing anymore. But that's what they were holding on to. So, if you look at that history coming forward, who had the power? Police? Um, police and government. I will keep enacting laws to hold this um, uh, 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 group down, okay? And that's what we have today. I am, you look through the history of government, you look at um, Ronald Reagan, Bush, what's the other guy, Nixon. If you look at their major platform, it was law and order. Donald Trump, law and order. Okay? Yeah. Jump into, say, like, if you look at, and they're coming at it a different way. Because 
how could one incident, and there's been some tragics, how could this one incident cause a worldwide awareness? Worldwide. The one, you know, it was it wasn't one. It was like that was the last straw. Because it always happens. It typically happens in threes. Right, but we hadn't seen. We hadn't seen. We hadn't seen the outcry across the oceans. Yeah. Uh, well, that's. I think it's. Uh, it also has to do with just the unique position that the world is in, where. Um, the whole world is already at a standstill anyway, you know? And so there's literally nothing else to focus on. And then now with the internet and smartphones and everything, when something goes viral, it, it goes across the planet. It goes across the globe in 24 to 48 hours. And so everyone around the globe is sitting at home, has been cooped up in their house for the past three months and has done absolutely nothing. And there's nothing else to do. Mm-hmm. And now you have this another viral. This things happen every few years. Uh, Ferguson, Dallas, mm-hmm. the marches. You know, Flannel Castillo. All yeah, the stuff. We look at the camera phones and the videos. Mm-hmm. Hasn't went worldwide. No. Well, yeah. The the world. I think the worldwide thing is that because the whole world is literally doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. We're all doing nothing. We're all sitting here waiting for COVID nineteen to pass. And so we literally have, we're not watching football. We're not watching soccer. We're not watching basketball. We're not going to concerts. We're not going to school. We're not going to church. We're not not doing anything except for staring at our phone. And Mm -hmm. so now, like, there's nothing else in the news cycle, nothing else in regular life that is as exciting, as stimulating, as talk. There's nothing else to talk about except for Mm -hmm. this. Nothing else to focus on. And so when the whole world can focus on this all at once, mm-hmm. I think I think that's a part of it. But also I think there are some other forces at play. You know, uh, of course, Bible believing, you know, this is the end times revelation. We got... That ain't end times yet. <laughs> well, I don't know. Mark, Mark of the Beast is coming mm-hmm. with this, you know, with, uh, with the COVID-19 the vaccine and everything that's going to be injected into us. And you're not going to be able to leave your house without a vaccine. You're not going to be able to basically at some point in time, you're not going to be able to go anywhere in public without some type of advanced tracking because whatever's going to come this fall, what they're saying is going to be worse than COVID-19. And so, um, yeah, it's, it's going to get progressively worse and more and more serious, you know? Right. But I, I think, I, I have to agree with you when you say we have nothing else to do but look at our phones and media, you know, and media is doing a great spin job, you know, because if you look deeper, okay, you showed me Floyd getting killed once, mm-hmm. but every hour, mm-hmm. okay, what subliminal message, even though it may be wrong, mm-hmm. what subliminal message are they sending? You know, so they're creating other talking points. You know, and people are saying, okay, I've seen enough. So now it's, what do we do? Mm-hmm. And the unfortunate but fortunate thing is, though we have protesting, 
-hmm. We don't have that 60 protests, you know, where we had the king uniting. I don't see it. You know, I saw Sharpton and all of them, you know, do the, do the, do the funeral and all of that, but there's no guidance. Okay. So <laughs> I feel where there's no guidance and we're not on a common bond. Mm -hmm. We'll just go back to uh, adopt and go back to our shadows. I don't know. Yeah, and that's and that's that's where I'm going with this. Uh, you know, with her, like, what is? It's like you said, the '60s was different. That's why I'm asking. You know, folks like you, like you all that, or even her, because she's 87. So like, she's seen it all. She's seen the the lead up to you know. She's seen oh. King's whole life, and so I'm like, all right. I guess her and Martin MLK is like the same age or something like that. So, um, yeah, he would be up there. Yeah, he would be in his 80s by now. So, um, uh, you've seen, you seen uh, Selma, you've seen, uh, you've seen Birmingham, Selma, Ferguson, you know what I mean? Now you've seen this George Floyd stuff. Um, what's different? What change do you think is going to come out of this? Is it going to be people going to be up in, in an uproar for an extended period of time? And then we'll just go back to our regular life mm -hmm. and it will still have the same problem three years ago. Or does she perceive this to be different because things are getting changed and um, there is. Yeah. Initiative. I mean, there's been a, I mean, if you look at the minute things that have happened mm -hmm. as far as say Juneteenth. Right. Right. It has been around forever. You ask the common white folks before you heard it on the news and all of that, did you hear that in your history books? Right. Did you hear about Black Wall Street? Mm hmm Okay. So now we have, in a matter of a couple of weeks, companies recognizing it as um, a holiday. Mm -hmm. You know, Apple paid holiday. Um, there was another one paid holiday. But if you could, my thing is, if you could do that now, you could have done it then. So these are the little, these right. are the little bones that yep. they throw out. And we say, oh, wow, we're recognized. But no, that's what has always happened. Right. Give them, give them enough to quiet it down and they'll go back to their norms and we'll go back to our norms and we'll keep going. Like the biggest thing I've learned through this and did some reading on is the fact that, and listening to Jane's video and I, you know, I was like, oh my gosh, she might have something there. The fact of black and brown being more in the next 20 years than whites. Right. And where she correlates that to the abortion. Mm-hmm. You know? And then I was like, man, man can't think like that. And then you gotta start saying, well, yeah. And the biggest thing that I loved that she said was, 
if you allow us the equal justice, we're not coming and gunning for you. We're not taking over the world or anything. The cry has always been equal in the Constitution, equal, equal. You know what I mean? So where do we go? Well, it's really hard when you dive into, mm-hmm. like, say, God forbid that man gets back in this office. He will. See? He will. He will. <sighs> it's okay. Well, I, half me, more than half of me says he will. <laughs> he will. There's, there's, there's hope that he won't. Yeah. Because... I hate to say it, for everybody across the board, it will not be good. But, I mean, that's not to say that it was good for us under Obama. It was, Obama was like, he kind of gave us like a false sense of hope. Like we had a sense of security, like, oh, we're going to be all right because we got a black man in the in the White House. But man, that's when police killings started to spike well, up. Right. Okay. So. So it don't matter. You got to look at it a couple ways. One, yes, that was our, what they call it, our great black hope. There could be change. Right. You look at history over, there's always been that propensity to shut it down. Mm-hmm. Okay. Since we didn't have, was it the House or the Senate? They had the power to shut anything down that he said. Right. Mm-hmm. So then it looks like, and you know, and this is just me, it looks like he wasn't doing anything. In fact, he was. But because we have this governmental system, he couldn't. You know, I think he could have used his executive powers a little stronger. Mm-hmm. But his platform, you know, like healthcare, mm-hmm. you know, yes. So now you have somebody that comes in and says, no, whites are dominant. Let me shut everything that he did and let me instill my agenda. So everything he did and put in, I'm turning over. Mm-hmm. But to go with what you said, I think all minorities said, this is it. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, we made history. Did we advance a little more? Well, a little. But like you said, then we have the onslaught, like you said, of police brutality. A lot of things went down in his eight years. Mm-hmm. And, okay. he, and he didn't do much, if anything, about it, other than say that it's wrong. He didn't change right. any laws. Right. He didn't change any policies. He didn't push for anything other than, hey, this needs to stop. And right. he, he might go to a funeral and sing, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, whatever, well, sing, sing a few songs or whatever. But he wasn't actually, like you say, executive orders. Right. And it's like, constructive like that, that came out of that. Um, like I said, we've had more. Okay. Case in point. 
Case in point. Case in point. All right. All of these things, Lynch, I mean Lynch, connected to Confederacy and the oppression of oppressive of blacks. We're gonna cut out statues down, this, that, and the other. Mm-hmm. What did Mr. Trump do the other day mm-hmm. or yesterday? Signs an executive order saying it is a crime to deface any Confederate statues. No, I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Executive order. Um, that was either yesterday or today. Mm. Okay. Um, you know, he's got the military up in arms because the way he's abusing their power. You know, like the thing that happened down at the church, that shouldn't have happened and went down like that for him to take a photo op. Right. You know, he's, I feel he's trying to get to a dictatorship. Okay, look at this. How many people, how many presidencies, good, bad, or indifferent, has fired, like he's on round 20 of firing people? Mm-hmm. You know, you had, uh, what's his name that they just fired from the Supreme um, in New York? Because he was doing his job. You know, you listen to, the press secretary, you listen to Pence, like that deplorable, they interrupted my show yesterday for that deplorable update. Mm-hmm. You know, Biden, eh. but he said it right. The whole world is looking at you to lead and you're making light of this situation. But yet we almost got close to 2000 people dead because you're an inability to act, okay? This is where we're at, you know? Um, So could there be a major change coming out of this? Yeah, you know, we're in a country where people are saying, well, you can't force me to make wear a mask. I'm like, we're not forcing you. This is saving you and saving those around you. Mm-hmm. But yet you have a leader who's having rallies, sign this thing, if you get it, that's on you, having rallies that doesn't care about the people as a whole, but his own agenda, you know? Mm-hmm. But I don't know. That's. As, as I sit down and look at it, I say, this is systematically the same thing. Different characters, right. but it's right. the same thing. So then... And so that, so that leads it into um, the next question, because it is systematic. And basically, the goal of what Jane is working on is to mm-hmm. end racism. Right. Now, you know, she, she's done her experiment. It's been wildly successful and impactful. Um, she's told stories of, like, a, like I said earlier, her father, who's seen it for the mm-hmm. first time when he was 60 years old, he said he wished someone would have told him that at nine. Um, you know, she's told other stories of, like, a 20-year-old young man that, that came up to him 
after right. she spoke at a college and he was like, man, you finally freed me up from having to defend this, you know, white supremacist BS. Um, but there's only one Jane Elliott and she's been mm-hmm. teaching us for 50 years. Um, and even in uh, Martin Luther King's letter from a Birmingham jail, he stated that it's a, a historical fact that privileged groups seldom give up their privileges voluntarily. You know, individuals may see the moral light mm-hmm. uh, and voluntarily give up their unjust posture, um, but groups tend to be more immoral than individuals, mm-hmm. you know? And so um, with that being said, like beyond an intellectual revolution, how can we work to eradicate white supremacy from the systems of all people activity from economics, education, entertainment, labor, law, politics, religion, sex, war. There's a white supremacist um, lens that that we all see things in that there's basically the white supremacists run those areas of activity. So how do we eradicate that from all of these groups of activity? Because we can individually come to some conclusion, but groups act different than individuals. Right. And I think there was a line in the movie, uh, No Mercy, Yes Mercy, whatever. Um, Just Mercy? Yeah, with uh, Jamie Foxx. And and I thought this is where he was going with the line he said, because, you know, the lawyer was getting all kinds of kickbacks and, you know, doors shut and he he can't move the case at that moment. But Jamie had said, you need to train up another lawyer. Where I thought he was going, going to go with it is a white lawyer to be your mouthpiece, the face. Okay. Mm. But he went, to, he went to, because you're about to get killed. Mm-hmm. That's why I say, you know, it's funny because whites say, well, what can I do? You know? Um, let's face it, the, the, we know if you went in and a white male went into a bank to get a loan, we know by stats, he would get the loan and you'd be denied. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if you look at a lot of the black entrepreneurs, um, oh, what was his name? Oh, basically what he was saying was he built his company and the face of his company was white, but he was directing it from the director's chair. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, his name slips me. But basically saying, I am not going to get that equal treatment. Mm -hmm. Okay. If I need $50,000, you're going to make me have $100,000. Right. Okay. If you see that I'm gaining... You're going to come up and again, goes back to laws. Oh, they're gaining. Let's up the ante. Let's put these laws in place. Okay. 
Have you seen the uh, movie 13? Oh, yeah. Netflix? Yep, yep. What's that all about? Money. Yep. How do we do this? Mm -hmm. Well, how do we do it yesteryears? Okay, we created laws. Hmm. Reagan, Nixon, Bush, all on this anti-drug. Mm -hmm. Okay. You take cocaine and you take crack. Cocaine is in the suburban, which blacks can't afford, but we have this product here, crack, that we can sell as little as $5. And we put it in the inner city. We're really not gonna you know, set up stings and all that unless they get blatantly out of hand here but we can run a game here all day long mm -hmm. to keep our jails going. I don't know if that makes sense. No, it does. I mean, racism is a, is a business. And so that's what I'm saying. You know, we can have all these individuals mm -hmm. have these aha moments at certain periods of time, but the system is set. And, and that's why we have to attack we have to attack the system with what they can see. I have to send in somebody that looks like you that has the quote same, like a better term, rights as you to fight you. Potentially, yeah. Potentially. You know what I mean? I mean, how else can you do it? I mean, we have had the Kings, the Malcolms, the Jacksons, the Sharptons, mm -hmm. all of these folks. Mm -hmm. What's going on? I think it's a it's a two sided thing. Like, um, black people have to, and this is what I speak about and and coach too. Is like we have to reshape our values. And so that they don't align with any system of dominance over us, you know, so break, that um, down. break, break it down. Mm -hmm. So when it comes to um, education, black people like we, we value the European education system. We value Ivy League colleges. We value private schools in suburban areas. We value schools that have high ratings. Why? Because we think that if we put our kids in those schools, then they're going to go to the good colleges and they're going to get a scholarship and they're going to blah, blah, blah. But the education that they are giving us, like if I, if I take the same education as you're getting, as a white person is getting, they're going to become smarter and I'm going to become dumber. They're right. going they're gonna to have, because, but if, if I value the European way, then what does that mean about me? If I don't, you know, if everything European is godly and, and enlightenment and everything African is, is degrading and primitive, then what does that mean about me? And so we have to change our value system on like what we think education really is. Education is about solving problems for, your, for you and your family and your culture. And if you can't do that, and it's about like building you up, like your, your history should inspire you to do great things. I mean, that's why... The Old Testament was written while they were in captivity, while they were in Babylon. They had to remind their people who they are, who their God was, and inspire them to get up out of there, you know? And so 
that's what we have to do. And that's, on, and on, and, but that's just one. That's just one component. Economically, we have to value our people. When we say shop, shop black, buy black, uh, bank black, we literally have to change our mind frame. And it's like we have to keep the money flowing in our community. If there's a black person that sells toothpaste and a and a corporation that sells toothpaste, you mm-hmm. go to the black business. And that's just period. We have to change the flow of our money, change the way that we educate. Um, mm-hmm. We have to change our labor practices. And, and like you said, we have to be entrepreneurs. And even if we do work, you know what I mean? Like you don't want to work for a system that you know is going, that is going to degrade your people has shown, has shown in the past, has blatantly degraded whether it's their employees or they've said or done certain things like a Starbucks or like whatever company that has done things that are blatantly against you. And so let alone, I'm not going to shop there. I'm not going to work there either. You know? So it's just like, it's a whole reshaping of values and, and I think, stop putting Europe on a pedestal and stop degrading yourself in, in Africa. And part of that is technically I'm glad there's no sports. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad there's no concerts. Mm-hmm. Because that's their agenda to say, well, we have given you entertainment. Sports. We have given you sports. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I agree with you, what you said earlier is we're in a position now, be it forced or whatever, that we have to start looking. You know, like the idolization of sports figures and stars, we have to get away from that because that's that bone. Right. Okay, why did Chubby Checkered and uh, uh, Millie Holiday and all of those have to give up what they knew to fit the white world. Right. Chubby Checker is writing songs and they're saying, well, Chubby, great song. You can't do it. This group's going to do it. Mm -hmm. So then they usher in and say, okay, we'll give them, we'll give them entertainment. You know, the NFL is what? 67% black. Mm-hmm. The uh, NBA, we don't like baseball, so we ain't too many there. Yeah. We'll give them that and say, well, look, you guys have achieved. Which placates us and say, yeah, look at us. We're doing things. Mm-hmm. But we're not, and I, I agree with you, we're not educated enough to say, that's not the reality of our whole as a race. But we're, we're, we've been educated. We've been miseducated. Like mm-hmm. black, black women, black women are the highest educated minority group in the mm-hmm. world. But if our education consists of consumption, working for somebody else, mm-hmm. um, European values, you know what I mean? It's just like Europe, you know, so that, so what's, so the value, the value of our education is, is more valuable to the system than it is to us. Look how they shut down education back in slavery. Blacks could not go to school when it was cotton harvest, which ran, what was it? Six months of the year. 
In the wintertime, you can go to school for those three months. Mm -hmm. But when the fields have to be planted and all of that, so education was never it started then where we never had that uh that leg up in education to get our education just like with jim crow uh the voters right well hmm uh, there's a little more of them than us and if we let them vote, this is what's going to happen. So let's institute a law saying you have to be able to read, which falls back to what was the education? Mm-hmm. You know, we couldn't. You know what? You know what Jane is going to say to that? She's going to she's going to give a very solid answer. She's going to get she's going to break down the word educate. You know the. Mm-hmm prefix and a suffix and all of that. I know. I, I was like, how do you break that word down like that? But yeah, she, she's going to break it down and she's going to talk about, she's going to talk about um, indoctrination is what we're doing right now versus education. Right. And again, so where, so where do we go from there? When she, when she, when she hits us with that line, where do we go from there? I then would say, Jane, <laughs> we have tried everything that we humanly possibly know. The key is not with us. The key is with the system. Because imagine families going to the school board and said, I want my kid to learn this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. We want to change the curriculum. What kind of system would that, what would be needed to do that? But look, we're. I mean, I'm in the educational field and there are scripts of what to say. Oh yeah. And there's scripts to what they're supposed to pass Mm -hmm. and supposed to know. You know, so it's like, I think my question would be, If there was one thing we could change and change, like really change, Mm -hmm. what would that be? Because we can't eat the whole elephant. Right. And we've been taking little nibbles through the years. Mm -hmm. What does it take? Look at war. When I go to fight over in Vietnam and I go over to Saudi and all of those places, who's actually running the military? We are relying on people from that country to help us. Hence, our allies. Okay? Mm-hmm. That's the same I feel we have to do now. We have to build a contingency that we can direct, mm-hmm. but they're the face. I, I really don't think we can go at it. I don't think we, we, Obama look, tried. Look, also, so, so here, so here we go. So there, so there's that. So we have to build it up. Jane has been, a one woman army of a contingency to go against the system. 
and when she and and, and that and so that that leads into what was it the question number five where so so she she did that work she did the uncomfortable work of right. going against the system and she had no idea what was coming at her and she she shared stories on the rock newman show about her parents restaurant went out of business her children were brutalized by their peers sabotaged by teachers um, so if you look at it and there's a question i dive in if you look at it she's like you said a one-woman show right she carries the i look like you i am white mm-hmm Okay. Again, I think if if that if she opened up the Jane Elliott Institute and started training us, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Having like a mass production of what she does, right? And then give it to us minorities to carry that work. I, I swear, I, I think about it and I say, why isn't she, why isn't this a training course? Why, why was it kept? That's a great question. That's a great question. That is a great right. question. Why, <laughs> why is it only just you? There have to be some people that have, you know, gravitated towards you because of your work. Um, mm-hmm. But then I, her her answer is going to be probably pretty shocking to us or shocking to, to the listeners. And we would, I, I would guess to say that there's a lot, there's a lot less people that are interested in doing what she does because what she does as a white person is basically forsaking her race. Like, that's what that's how the white people, those white moderates, those white Christians, she lived, she came up in a whole Christian town. It don't matter, Christian or not, these white people, they you are still a nigger lover if you do this. <laughs> like if you go against the family, you're a nigger lover. Mm-hmm. 1968, 1998, 2018, 2020, you're a nigger lover to this day. And so I would I would venture to say that her answer is gonna be like, it's not too many people that wanna do what I do. Because you are right. turning your back right. on your whole family. She, she, I, I don't know if you heard in the one interview, she had that defining moment where they had to rush her out. Yep. Because they said, and she had to make a defining call. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. I spoke last night and one of the gentlemen, I still don't know how he got it. His name is Carlos. Mm-hmm. When I tell you his name is Carlos, what do you automatically associate? Hispanic. Bingo. Mm-hmm. He's German. Okay. Was willing, lost his job, wasn't getting any calls, reduced it down to, maybe I should change my name. To Carl. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, we got a Carlos here. Yeah. When he said that last night, I was like, damn. Wow. 
you know, how many other nationalities, ethnic groups can do that? We can't. I mean, I have been on the receiving end of, I sound white, and when I show up, you get that, oh. Because mm-hmm. my name is William H. Johnson Jr. William and Johnson are common white names. Mm-hmm. And then they want to do the first thing. Can I call you Bill? No, that's not my name. But when he said that, I was like, people are willing to go. He deduced, I'm not getting called. Mm-hmm. Wonder if it's my name. For sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's a fact. We know that. Like, black people, we know if you got... Like, that's oh, well, the group last night was like, why would you do that? Yeah. You know, the group last night was pretty cool, but it was just like... Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's why we hit it off, because he's... Like I told um, last night, well, what can we do? What can we do? I said, okay. Any white business you go into, ask them. You were pretty nice to me. Are you the same way to the blacks? Of course, they're going to say, oh, sure. But they have to start as we have to go back to our roots and support our businesses. Our allies have to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Look at the, um, the sit-ins of the 60s. Or how, 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 about, how about this before you get into that? So that could be a part of it or what if they don't because i i'm under the mindset that white people don't have to frequent our businesses i mean that's that's not that's not their responsibility no responsibility is systematic and the responsibility falls with the government so give us our reparations and then we can stop (laughs) faking like everybody likes each other and like we're all one big happy family because we we have to The term came out with Obama that really stuck, grassroots. Okay, so how do you do a grassroots? You start from the bottom and you start indoctrinating. Uh, That's a bad word, but you start bringing people in Mm -hmm. from the bottom. We have tried from the top down. We have tried. And if we, if they say, well, you really didn't try, Obama was at the top of the top of this country. Mm -hmm. Did it work? No, not at all. Not at all. But it it has to be a multi, it has to be like, everybody has, has to have different strategies. White people can't be doing the same thing as black people and black people can't be doing the same thing as white people. But they can. Okay. If we said... As a group, Black said, we're not shopping Macy's, Target, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Will you join us? Because in fact, any kind of change, everybody has to feel the hit. But but we've, we've seen over time, they will not join us. And it's not their responsibility. It is not their responsibility, like, once again, privileged groups are not going to give up their privilege. That is a historical fact, and it's human nature. It, like, it's, you're, asking, you're asking everyday people to sabotage themselves, and they're not going to do it. And history if you educate them to where they see, because to be anti-racist doesn't mean 
a label, but means action. But you're you're asking you're asking them to give. They're saying I'm anti-racist. You're asking them to live their life, live live their lives in a compensatory manner, and I don't see, I don't see, millions of people living their lives in a compensatory manner because it goes against their nature. But they're coming to you. They're saying, Emmanuel, what can I do? Go back to Europe. That's it. Just get, just get on a flight and leave. No, because then you have, to say, you have to say, go back to Africa and all that. No, 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 no. Anybody, anybody that was already here before 1500 or before 1400 and anybody who came here involuntarily, all right, you can have this. And then we will, everybody that came over here voluntarily, you go back. <laughs> well, that ain't happening. But listen to it. Listen, listen. Again, this is William's logic. Sure. It's real or not. But if we start a grassroots project, because since Floyd, people have called me. I mean, I shut down because I was like, okay, 62 years old. I got to put this all I got to put this all in perspective, man. I was on books, internet, the whole nine yards. If the white population that feels, lack of a better term, our pain, that knows the struggle, comes to you and says, well, what can I do? They have to absorb some of the pain that we're going to have to go through. So if we say we're not shopping at Macy's, Target, Lane Bryan, you know, ShopRite, we're shutting it down. We're going to feel the pain, and they're going to feel the pain. Okay? Just like the boycotts. All right? Now, it was done in the South, and no white person was going to step up to the plate. But what did that do? Hey, we're losing. But William, <clears throat> William, do you think white people are capable of doing that? Do you think they have the capacity? It's, it's, it's based, based upon what you've seen in your lifetime and based upon what you've studied in history, would you, would you bet your house that in the next 10 years, white people are going to live in a compensatory manner consistently and they're going to help black people and all non-white people um, cre you know, create equity and power for themselves? I... I'll say this way. I think so. Why? Because when a person is asking, what can I do? The guilt. Now, we have to multiply that. We got to say, we need 51% of the whites to say, what can we do? It can't be like splinter groups, little groups here and there. It has to take a movement. But that's ignorance, though. When they say, what can you mean to tell me in the year of our Lord 2020, you still don't know what to do? It's ignorance. It's right. ignorance. Right. They, but, been, but been, been, to, I, watched, I watched a documentary in 1968 based out of uh, Nebraska. It was called A Time for Burning. And it was the same thing. It was a very similar thing to what Jane did. It was a white mm -hmm. pastor from like a Methodist church. And he was going around to black barbershops and other black neighborhoods. And he was trying to integrate his church and the black people didn't want to come to come to his church. And then the 
he went back to his clergymen and they all sat around and was like, well, well, what do we do now? Well, what, well, what do we do? And they're always asking, what are, what, what, what are we going to do? They, they always say that, but that doesn't mean that they want to act narrative shouldn't be, what should we do? I think what you're getting at, and I would have to agree, what am I willing to sacrifice? That's a fact. I think that's the underlying question. Right. You know, um, because it then becomes a sacrifice, because it then becomes a life like Jane's. Yeah, exactly. And they don't want to live that life. They're not about that life. Because you, you, I hear white people all the time in Portland, Oregon, in, in my neighborhood that I grew up in, I have conversations like, well, I, you know, I just kind of feel so bad. I didn't know the history. It's just like, well, I, I just don't know what to do. I just, I just feel so bad. And I'm like, well, why don't you sell your house and go back to wherever you moved from? No, that's not. That. <laughs> what, what are they going to do? Like when you ask, no, no, but listen, but listen, but listen, but listen. The, the problem is, the problem is, white people came here and they helped, they aided in abetting and destroying a black neighborhood. I feel bad. How can I help black people get back into this neighborhood? How can I not be a part of the problem? To solve the problem of not having black people in the neighborhood is to get out of that neighborhood and have no, it compensatorily no. give that house back to a black person. If you're not going to no. do that. Then you're, it's then called you're not, changing the laws. No, the law That's, is only as valuable as those that enforce the law. Right. So, you heard a redlining. Of course. All right. You heard of the GI Bill that was a, a slap in the face to black GIs. Okay. Mm -hmm. So yes, we are setting up these communities that we are keeping blacks out, and they even told realtors if you sell to a black in this neighborhood, you will lose your license. Right. Okay. So how do you, how do you legislate that? You have to get people to help you change laws because even if you advanced, right, and it's going against the grain, what do I have to do? It's been proven. I just enact a new law. So I tell people, it's the government and the policing because they have the power. Now, instead of telling well, the government- well, Who set up the laws? Who set up the laws though? The whites. So the same people that have, been, that have been oppressing you for 500 plus years, you're gonna go to your oppressor and say, hey, protect me. You're gonna go, <laughs> yeah, how is she gonna do it? You got, you got to, you got, you can't do that. You can't go, you can't be on the plantation and go to master's house and say, master, give me a raise. Master, protect me from you. Master, you raping me and you raping my wife and you wait and you raping my daughter. Can, I, I need protection from you, master. Please protect me. But it's, it's not, and he's not going to do that. So what, what, what I would do then is I would have to, like I said earlier, find an ally who's willing to take the hit if it goes south. That's what I'm saying. We can't do this. Like I said earlier. We can. We can, William. We can do this, man. We can do this. But right. We, as black people, okay. we... Hold on. You're in Portland, right? Go ahead. You're in Portland, right? Yes, sir. So say... 
you want to run for, um, say, what is the what is Wheeler? City council. Not council. The yeah, mayor. Council. Say you want to run for mayor. Oh God. <laughs> Do you have enough blacks, just blacks only, to put you in that office? No. Who do you need? You need white people. Bingo. That's why you can't send them back. But it doesn't matter. When I get in that seat, how much influence do I have? Seat. If you get into that seat. But to get to that seat, you need allies to get you in. But the value of that seat is minimal on, as far as the impact that you're going to make on the black community. You know we had a black police chief. We, had a, we have a black chief of the fire department. What does that mean? It, di it didn't change anything. There was little to no constructive change, even if you have a black face at the top. That's the same Obama you know, facade that we had. You have a black figurehead, but everyone around you that you need to go through to make decisions and to approve your decisions, and when the mayor goes to city council and you got these five mm -hmm. people that are voting for you, unless we as a people, so this is, so mm -hmm. this is, this is my thing. Have you ever seen, um, you, well, you know about the Rajanishis back in, back in the eighties that came yeah, over, over, yeah. Yeah. So, so that's, that's the model for black people. It has to be an outside in. It can't be like, all right, we're going to be in this super dense population area and we're, Three percent of the population, and we're gonna and we're gonna be able to take over. No, we're gonna we're gonna have to so, change our whole lifestyle. We're gonna have to go to a small town, buy out the town. We become the mayor, we become the commissioner, we become the city council, and then once we can get enough people in the county, and if we, as a majority of people, have county votes, not just one person, but we have a majority. Then, then we can start passing laws that we enforce that protect us. But all this tokenized leadership that we have in the Portland City Council or whatever, city commissioner or the mayor or the police chief, it don't matter. You work for white people. You're not a boss. You're a worker and you're, and you're carrying out the vision of everybody else. We always have been a wrong down. Okay. And like I said, I'm old, so I'm a lot older than you. you. You know, it's one of those things where, as I look at the war, and that's how I, that's how I look at it now. White folks are saying, "How can I help you?" And a realization that I, at this day and time, kind of need you to help us. Okay, I need your four hundred one k, Susan. Right. That's what I need. I need the whole thing. So, you, so what you're saying, what you're saying is, I agree. Are they willing to sacrifice their plush life? No, they're not. They work too hard. Their mm -hmm. grandparents work too hard. Their 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 grandchildren okay. depend on what they produce for them right now. Everybody's right. looking at their their next generations. People are not sacrificing right. their generations like that. Because, see, what it is is, what is the main staple for a white family is a home. Right. Which we were not afforded that same economical base. Right. Right? Yep. We're not giving loans. I mean, 
the GIs came back. They only three percent of them got the GI Bill to get a house. Right. Okay. So you're right to set up like a black Wall Street. Mm-hmm. Okay. I and it's me. I think they made up an excuse to take them to take it down. How you gonna how you gonna fly planes in and shoot from the sky? Yeah, it's, it's the case. That's how much of a threat they felt. Yeah. And again, that's where you say this is gonna get muddy. It has this, to. This is going to get dirty. <laughs> there is you no. You want to be the Jane Elliott that loses your business, that your kids are harassed, that your life is threatened. Mm-hmm. And I, I have to give you a little of saying there's not many people that's going to do that. No. And it's and it's not me being pessimistic or me like mm-hmm. whatever. It's like I'm looking at history and I'm like, yo, how many Jane well, are there? How many people have given it up the way that she's given it up consistently? Like you, I, you might hear a Tim Wise, you might hear uh, even even Joe Biden was given credit for riding with Obama. But it's like, how many people have sacrificed literally for this type of work? You know, like this divert. Like she was DEI before DEI was a thing. You know, there was there's. You can't name five people that are giving it up like that. You know, just like with. Um, I had said earlier, we have tried, we have told you, Emmanuel, sir, uh, this is too hard for us. Let's sit down and talk. Um, Let's do it a peaceful way. Okay. Colin Kaepernick couldn't have done it any other kind of way. Oh my gosh, the flag, the hands on the heart, the dead, the dead, the dead. He's the awareness. Mm-hmm. And if he got the whole, you know, Roger Goodell, oh, we're sorry, we made a mistake. Well, you haven't made it right. You haven't said, here's your job back, and here's a couple extra dollars for your suffering. Well, they, they gave him a even, what? Even, even when Nike gave him an endorsement. Mm-hmm. Nobody came up and said, oh, Nike, you know, number one powerhouse company. Let's get on the bandwagon. No. Again. And that's why he kind of said it in one of his interviews when they with the, when the riot started over George Floyd and all that. How would you like us to do it? And he said, better yet. Um what does it take for you to listen? You know, so you're right. History is doing nothing but repeating. If we go back to the Bible, when the Israelites were slaves to the Egyptians. Okay. It's the same thing. So when Moses took them across the Red Sea, it's just like Lincoln freeing the slaves. But even crossing the Red Sea, they still had to negotiate and deal with laws of established countries. But that's, but also that's, that's different. That is different. You talk Uh, about a people, you talk about a people that came voluntarily. This is, you got to understand what we're dealing with, with these Europeans is conquest and terrorism. 
the Egyptians were not conquesting and terrorizing the Israelites. They, were, they, they weren't even a people. It was just it was just Jacob and his twelve sons, and they just how happened. Did they become, to how did they become slaves? Because, because, because it was a famine. Because it was a famine. And so slavery, because slavery back in the day was employment. There wasn't no HR department. There wasn't no, you know, proprietor and whatever. It was just like, all right, you coming to my country? You a foreign people? No, literally. You're, you're a foreign people? All right. Well, you can work and you can do this. Right. And, 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 and so, they, so, they, so they made up their agreement. And so their agreement is, all right, you work here. You, you till this land and we'll give you some housing, whatever. And so, and you can do that until, you know, but look, but, but, but look, here, here what I'm saying though. So they willingly went there during, during a famine. Um, Joseph happened to be, you know, second. Okay. In, and then he was like, all right, y'all can stay here because everybody else was dying. You know, everybody else was starving. And so he stayed, mm -hmm. so they stayed there and they went from 12 and he gave them some water. And so they grew from like 12 to like a million people, you know, over, over the years. And so, but they had a, they had a whack deal. You know, it was just like, all right, under, under Joseph, it was cool. But then other pharaohs was like, I don't, who, who, who are these people? I don't like them. They not us. And we and not them. When, when Moses, when Moses went to Pharaoh, let my people go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Pharaoh's like, uh, nope. Right. King, be fair to my people. Nope. Okay. If we look at what happened, you know, the hardening of hearts as they talk about in the Bible, mm -hmm. this is William saying it. Right. God instituted riots with the plagues. Okay. Mm -hmm. You said no. We came to you nicely, right? Okay, um, um, God, uh, he's not doing it. Okay, let me handle it, all right? Causing havoc. Um, the Passover, hey, this is what we're about to do. You gotta put the blood over your door, I'm gonna pass you over. If you don't put the blood over your door, this is what's gonna happen, mm -hmm. okay? So it's the same now, as you said, and I agree, hey, society, let us in, fair and equal, as the constitutional say, equality, all of these things, uh no or here's a bone i think we've gotten to a point where we're tired of the bones mm -hmm. so like i asked you before and it's 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 the talking question what do we do where we as blacks as our ancestors those in a cotton field were willing to do was willing to take those lashes to um, king ready to get attacked by dogs and a fire hoses. What are we willing to do? Who is we? The blacks. We've already we've we've been willing to do everything. We tried everything, but you no, can't we haven't. You can't negotiate with a terrorist. 
You can't negotiate with a terrorist. True. But what do you, what do you, we don't want to negotiate. What but do that's, we, but that's what we're doing. That's exactly what we're doing. You got all these, you got the Al, Al Sharpton, like you said, all them people that you named and mm-hmm. all these groups, all these uh, organizations that are, you know, mm-hmm. advocating their, their, Hey, call your senator, call your mayor. Hey, demand justice for so-and-so. Demand this. We're right. trying to negotiate with terrorists, people that don't see us as equals, people that don't see us as essential other than doing menial work for them or, or bringing them pleasure when, when we're singing for them, dancing for them, right. or playing sports for them like a damn Coliseum, Roman Coliseum. Outside of that, we are we are gas for their engine. They see us as a commodity. They don't see us as people. We always we have always been the commodity. Like and so, I said, and so it's not about what are we what do we have to do to come to them. It's not that's not our job to continue to go back to our oppressor and beg for crumbs. It's a problem if we keep going back. Well, to no, our I'm not saying beg for crumbs. I'm saying what. We, we, as a race, have always taken, quote, the crumbs and have always said, and this is the first time I have read that we said, that's not good enough. They have the whole house up in arms over this bill, okay? I think we placated to a lot of things. Okay, okay thank you, Master. Thank you very much. And we go our separate ways because we feel we made an advancement because they gave us something. They gave us that crumb. Mm -hmm. As opposed to saying, nope, we don't want this crumb. Mm -hmm. Nope. But we don't, we don't, we're not even in a position to say, no, we don't want this. You're right. Why? Because we have no leverage in any of the systems. We have no leverage. We have no power structure. We have no wealth. So how do we do that? We don't have any of our own institutions. We are, we've been relying on them and their institutions to take care of us. And we want to operate in that. Again, it's going back to my war mentality. Now, will there be whites, uh, Hispanics, or anybody to jump on that bandwagon and accept we might get killed? We're going to take this hill, but we might get killed. I mean, there's going to be a few, but... It's not, that's not something we can bank on. But, and so my, my thing is, why is it that, that black folks in America always, we always have these coalition fantasies. We always have, we have the value, but we, we can't just say black. We always say black and brown. Okay. We say, oh, we gotta, we gotta, you know, we gotta connect with them and connect with them. I don't ever hear, and maybe I'm not around them enough, but I don't ever hear Hispanics and Latinos say, oh, we, we need the blacks. We need the Asians. I don't ever hear Asians say, oh, we need to, we need to link up with the blacks. I don't ever hear other. Because they're not, they're technically, truthfully, mm-hmm. those, those populations mm-hmm. can almost pass white. And they can go home if they feel like it. <laughs> you ready to send people home. But think no, about no, no, no. I'm, I'm just saying, if you're, right? if you're Mexican, you can go back to damn Mexico. 
If you're Chinese, you can go to China. You have options. People are here and doing things because they want to be here. So it's a different relationship as far as what they, what they, their relationship to this land and these laws and this government is different from ours. And so we have a relationship to this land and this government where we think that we should get everything that the, that the laws say. And immigrants know, well, I'm not necessarily going to get everything that it says because this isn't my country anyway. I'm just here for a good time. I'm here for the come up. Just look at, look at the riots in, in um, Rodney King riots. Hey, y'all. We was going in. Uh, this was a two-hour conversation. I'm not going to hold y'all. Um, it kind of tapered off after that moment. But you guys get the gist of it after a an hour and 20 minutes, hour and 30 minutes, uh, you see, this was a very spirited conversation. Uh, started from building up the questions to just really getting into the topics and, uh, and sharing ideas, man. So just know that what, you, what you're going to hear next from William, myself, and Jane, amazing. Absolutely amazing, man. So um, appreciate y'all for listening. If you have any questions, comments, email me, socks and sandals podcast at gmail.com. If you want to take part in the private conversations that we have, the first and foremost conversations uh, for black Americans, email me, socks and sandals podcast at gmail.com. If you have any other questions, hit me up on social media um, at socks and sandals podcast on Instagram. Um, on Twitter, search Socks and Sandals Podcast, or you can go directly to my at uh, SXSNDLS. So, once again, it's the Socks and Sandals Podcast where society, culture, history, and religion collide, and we unapologetically discuss our worldviews. Holla at y'all next time. Grace and peace.